All right. But what if I were to tell you there's one thing that you could do that would guarantee that you'd have more joy in your life? What if I were to tell you there's one thing that you could do that would be guaranteed to improve your relationships, your marriage, your relationships with extended family, your friends? What if I were to tell you there's one thing that you could do that would help you deal with conflict and overlooking differences in others? What if there were one thing that you could do that would reduce fear in your own life and in the lives of those around you? What if I told you there's one thing that you could do that would heighten your spiritual life, teach you more about what God was like, and help you to, to care about those around you? Well, the Bible tells us there's one thing that promise us that, that we'll do all those things and that thing is love. Love has an incredible power that sometimes we overlook and sadly as a culture I think that we're losing our understanding and our conception of what love is. Even our conception of romantic love is kind of fading from our public consciousness. The Journal of Advertising Research in 2014 did a study where they looked at songs that were written from 1960 to 2009, about a 50-year span, and they took the lyrics of all those songs and put them into a database, and then they ranked the top words from those songs. And what they found was in the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, the top word was love in any of these top songs. Then when they got the 90, to the 90s, it dropped down to number three. And then when it got to the first decade of the 2000s, it dropped down to number nine. Esquire magazine writes this, millennials are the least likely to listen to love songs or watch love stories on the screens. Indifference to romance explains why young Americans are dating less, having sex less often, and delaying mar marriage longer than any previous generation. In 1956, the Jewish psychologist and philosopher Eric Fromm prophetically wrote this. Disintegration of, or, di, he predicted the disintegration of love in Western culture. He said, if love is the capacity of the mature, productive character, it follows that the capacity of the love in an individual living in any given culture depends on the influence this culture has on the character of the average person. Finally, author David Mascorta writes this, as an instructor at a small university, I'm continually shocked by the language sterility of the contemporary college classroom. Of the young, one, of the young men and women who wear sweatpants and moccasins, rarely speak and spend more time looking at their phones than each other. As a culture, we're losing our conception of what love is, even even in a romantic sense, we're losing that conception. And now love is a word that in, in some languages encompasses various different phrases, but in our, our language it encompasses just one word that can mean different things. So I'd like to talk about love in the agape, the biblical sense of love today. And when we're talking about that kind of love, we're not talking about just simply delighting in another person. We're not talking about a romantic kind of love only or a feeling or an emotion. We're talking about love as an action and love as a commitment. This kind of love is seeking the good of the other even if at cost to oneself. If you have a Bible, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 
We'll look at Paul's grand uh, exposition on the topic of love. First Corinthians 13 says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So Paul declares that the greatest thing that we could ever do is love one another. And in this passage, we see three things that Paul tells us about love. First, he tells us that the preeminence of love that love is preeminent, it takes the first place among all virtues. Now it appears that in the church of Corinth there was kind of this question of what does it look like for someone to be filled with the Spirit of God? What does it look like for someone to be close to God and to be a good Christian, so to speak? And the Corinthians would probably answer that by saying, that person will display the spiritual gifts. That person will speak in tongues. That person will have great wisdom. They'll have knowledge. They'll be able to perform miracles. They'll have great faith. And they'll have all these gifts. But for Paul, he answers that differently. For Paul, he answers the question by suggesting that the marks of the Spirit of God in a person's life is that they walk in love. And Paul goes further to say, saying that you can have all of the spiritual gifts and if they're devoid of love, then they're useless. He, he describes, uh, this, he, he gives a comparison to a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now the image of a noisy gong, we're not really familiar with what exactly he was talking about, the, but the clanging cymbal was a very clear image during Paul's day. It was the image of a person, a pagan worshiper, ringing a, a gong in a temple. And so the image is that person going into this temple, ringing this gong to a god that does not exist. It's useless, it's futile, it's simply ringing uh, noise through the air. And Paul goes on to say that if you speak in different languages or if you prophesy or if you have great knowledge but don't have love, it's like beating that pagan drum in the temple. And Paul's point is not that the spiritual gifts are bad or wrong. In, in fact, later in chapter 14, he says that we should earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. But he, goes to, he wants to suggest that without love, then those spiritual gifts are useless. He goes on to say that when, he was a when you're a child, you talk like a child, you act like a child, you reason like a child. And he says that if you're 
acting like a child, then you don't have the full picture of what's happening. You don't have the full knowledge of what's going on. And he says that when you come to the, the picture that he's painting in this scripture, when you see what God is going to do, these spiritual gifts, though they're important today, they're not going to be important forever. He says that love is necessary for the spiritual gifts, that love makes the spiritual gifts useful. I don't know if you've ever watched a talent show or a sporting uh, program and you've maybe seen a person that has incredible gifts and nobody can deny the incredible gifts that this individual has, but they're so full of themselves. And you know, maybe someone asks them, so what do you want to do with your life? What is your goal? And they're like, I want to be the next superstar. I want everybody to love me. And you look at a person like that and you think to yourself, well, yeah, that person has a lot of gifts, but can they really contribute something worthwhile to the world? Are they really going to change the world when all they're concerned about is glorifying themselves? And I think sometimes even Christians can fall into that trap. Christians who have a lot of gifts. They have a lot of knowledge. They can cite a lot of scriptures for any possible topic. They have maybe great, a great gift of faith. But if they don't have love, all those gifts are meaningless and useless. So that's kind of the negative that Paul says, that if you have a lot of gifts and if, you do, if those gifts are devoid of love, then it's useless. But the kind of positive corollary of that is that even if you don't have a lot of gifts, even if you don't have a lot of resources, but you couple what you do have with love, it can have eternal significance. That small actions with love can have eternal consequences. In uh, 1967, there was a man by the name of Doug Nichols, who was a missionary in India. And while he was in India, he came down with tuberculosis. And he was sent to a sanitarium. It was really a terrible situation because he couldn't understand the language. He uh, really couldn't communicate hardly at all with the people around him. But he wanted to share the gospel. And the people around him spoke Parsi. And the only communication he had was that with them was he had a few gospel tracts that were in Parsi. But nobody was interested in taking them. He tried to give them to, to the other patients who were there, but nobody was interested. Well, one night he woke up and he was having this terrible coughing fit. And while he woke up, he, he heard an older man a little ways away from him kind of uh, moaning and grunting a little bit, and he was trying to get up. And so Doug didn't think anything of it. He went to bed, and then the next morning he got up and he found out that that man... He was unable to get up. He was trying to go to the bathroom, and he ended up uh, defecating on himself. The other patients jeered at him for his lack of control. The nurse came over and cleaned him up, but then slapped him because, it, because she was so annoyed. Well, the next night, he went to sleep, and he woke up, and he heard the same sound. But this time, knowing what was happening, he got up, and he iced the old man, brought him to the, helped him get to the bathroom. Well, the next, then he went to bed. The next morning he woke up and there was a cup of tea that was by his bed. Another patient decided he was going to show love to Doug. Just after that, th- that patient came over and asked, motioning that he, for one of those gospel tracts. Two days later, another patient came over and asked for the gospel tract. And it all started with that small act of love. Small acts of love can have eternal significance. What does Jesus say that his disciples will be known for? He doesn't say they'll be known for their wisdom, their knowledge. 
He doesn't say that they'll be known by what kind of car they drive or what kind of house they have. He says that believers will be known for their, by their love for one another. John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love gives meaning to life. It can get, make the smallest acts have eternal significance. Thomas Kempis wrote, once wrote this, whoever loves much, does much. So Paul tells us first that love is preeminent, that it holds the first place among any of the virtues. The second thing that he tells us is that love is forever. Love is a quality of God, of course, never ceases. God will never cease to be loving, but also as an action and a behavior, love will always continue on. When we get to heaven, there's one thing that's sure. We will be loved by God, and we will love those around us. And if we want to prepare ourselves for the afterlife, we can start by loving others and loving God today. Because that might look differently when we get to heaven, but that's an action that's going to continue forever and ever. He, he says that other actions like prophecy, tongues, knowledge, those things are going to cease. They will not go on forever. You think of prophecy, the ability to speak a word from God. Now when you get to heaven, you're not going to need someone to speak a word from God because you can see God. You can talk to God face to face. The gift of tongues, being able to speak in a language that's not your native language. When you get to heaven, other people will understand you and you'll understand them. You won't need someone to, to speak in tongues. Knowledge. You know, we have a lot of resources at our hands. We have, you know, the internet. We have uh, all kinds of commentaries on the Bible. We have the Bible itself. We have study Bibles. Every different version of, of the Bible. And when we get to heaven, we won't need the Bible because we'll have Jesus before us. But when we get to heaven, we st will still need to love. We will love and we will be loved. Now think back on the last three months uh, for us as a church. And things have changed so fast, so drastically. You know, and I think about that and I think about all the different things that we had planned. We had an Easter egg hunt planned. We had an Easter breakfast. We had, you know, regular Sunday services, Bible study. We we're supposed to do church in the park today. We had another outreach that we were going to do. You know, and I think about those things, and then I, I'm like, so what's left after you take away all of those activities? For us as a church, when you take away all the things that we do, what is left at the core of who we are? Who are we as a church? And the thing that I'm reminded of in this passage is that we're people of love. When you take away all the activities and all the things that we do, basically all we are is a people striving to love God and love one another. And despite all the negative uh, things that the results of, of what's happened in the last three months and the opportunities that we've, we've maybe wished that we've had to gather together, I think there's one positive in that it reminds us of what's port, important. Loving each other. Loving God. That's all that matters. And that might take different forms in the way that we reach out to others and serve the community, but that's the core of who we are. And if we're doing that as a church, that's something that's going to continue and have eternal consequences. 
So Paul tells us love is forever. The last thing he tells us is that love is demonstrated. Love is not some, some disembodied feeling or emotion. It's something that can be seen, that can be observed. Love can be demonstrated. We see in this passage, Paul tells us a, no, a list of things that love is and that love is, and that love is not. He says, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, it believes the best for others, hopes all things, it holds out hope for others, it endures all things, it endures mistreatment for the sake of others. When you see love, when love is demonstrated, you can see it. And as believers in Jesus, we need to look no further than the person of Jesus to see what love truly is. And we see in the person of Jesus, love demonstrated. In Romans 5, 8 in the NIV, it says, but for God demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love is patient. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, talks about his Lord who received him back in 2 Peter this way. Peter said this about his Lord, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Love is kind. Mark 8, 1 to 3. In those days when again a crowd gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to him, said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. Because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from afar away. Love does not envy. Luke 4, 5 to 8. The devil took him up, Jesus, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I give it to you to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be, all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. Love does not boast. Jesus said in John 8, 50, Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Love is not arrogant or rude. Philippians 2, 6-8 says, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of mind, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Love does not insist on its own way. Luke 22:41-42, Jesus says, uh, Jesus knelt down and he said, "Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done." Love is not irritable or resentful. Isaiah 53, 7 says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that's led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Jesus says this about 
Jerusalem and the Israelites whom he longed to save in Matthew 23. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Love rejoices in the truth. Luke 15 Jesus says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he is founded, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Love bears all things. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Love believes all things. It looks for the best in people. Even though Peter was going to deny Jesus three times, Jesus says this to him, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Love hopes in all things. In John 4, Jesus takes the time to talk to a woman who's a Samaritan. Two strikes against her in the ancient world. A woman who had five husbands and a sixth who was with her who was not her husband. And he offers her the hope of experiencing living water. Finally, love endures all things. Mark 15, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until... The ninth hour, in the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, leba samachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on the reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Jesus is love demonstrated. If we want to see the depth of what love looks like, we look no further than to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who demonstrated once and for all what love is like. And so as believers in Jesus, we've seen God's love demonstrated. We've experienced the love of God. But the question I have for us is, are we demonstrating that love to those around us? We can look at this passage and we say, Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. We can put his name in the blank, but can we put our own name in the blank? Can you put your name in the blank? I know as I go through this passage and look at these different characteristics of love and put my name in the blank, I see how woefully I often fall short of that standard that God calls for us to love. My guess is the same is for you. And if that's true for you, if you are not demonstrating that love in the same way that God is demonstrating that love to us, the answer is to run to our Heavenly Father, to meditate on His cross, to meditate on His example that He's given us, and to cry out to Him for Him to give us the Holy Spirit, to change us, and to give us a heart of love so that we too can demonstrate that love to those around us, so that we too can be patient and kind 
not envying or boasting, not arrogant or rude, not irritable or resentful, not given to wrongdoing, rejoicing in the truth, bearing all things, looking out for the best of other people, hoping in all things, enduring all things for the sake of others. There's an old Jewish legend, um, and it talks about two brothers, and this was time before time, before we had recorded history perhaps even. And uh, these two brothers had this grain field. And they decided that they were going to work the field and then they were going to split the grain. And one of the brothers was just single and the other had a family, uh, wife, children, large family. And so they would split the proceeds equally. And one day the single brother thought to himself, well, it's, it's not right that we split the proceeds equally because uh, I'm single, I just have to feed myself, and my brother has a family that he has to take care of. So each night after they would split the grain, he would sneak into his brother's granary and he'd put some of his grain in his brother's granary. And his brother would wake up each morning and miraculously he'd have more grain. Well, in the course of time, the other brother, the one who had a family, he thought to himself, well, it's not right that we should split the, the proceeds equally because I have a family, I have children to help me, and my brother doesn't have anything. He doesn't have an inheritance. And so I should give more to him than, he, than, than I receive myself. So he decided that he was going to go and he was going to uh, sneak into his brother's granary and put some of the grain, his grain in his brothers. And so they kept doing that for a while and then after the course of time they crossed paths. And seeing one another and recognizing what happened, they embraced one another in love. The Jewish legend goes that God witnessed their meeting and after he witnessed their meeting he proclaimed this is a holy place, a place of love. And here it is that my temple shall be built. And so the legend goes that the first temple was said to be constructed on that very site, a place of love. Likewise, may we as a church be a place where love dwells. May we be known for our love for one another. Because what the world needs now is love. It's needed love now more than it's ever needed love in the past. And as believers in Jesus, we've seen love demonstrated in the cross and the life of Jesus Christ. And now we have a calling to show that love to those around us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your never-failing, unchanging love. We thank you for bearing all things and going to the cross so that we might have life. Lord, as we are restarting church today and reopening. We don't know exactly what the future holds, but we know what we're called to do. We know that we're called to love one another and to love you. And Lord, we just pray that this place would be a place of love. That looking at your sacrifice and your love demonstrated that our hearts would overflow with love for you and for one another. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.